Unfortunately, the first few minutes of this message failed to record. When we're talking about justification, we're talking about being declared righteous according to law. It is not to be necessarily found innocent. It is to be declared, not guilty, but declared uh, uh, righteous according to law. This is possible uh, because of what we call the great exchange that is mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21. Uh, for he, and that is God, hath made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Uh, Paul uh, asserted in Romans how that God would be just and the justifier of those who believe in Christ. Uh, because how could a holy and righteous God call guilty sinners not guilty and still be a holy and righteous God? You see, that's a big issue. And the answer to that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. You see, not one of our sins went unpunished. Every single one of them was paid for by Jesus Christ. When He died on the cross, He took the full penalty of your sins and mine. His death was counted as my death because God's law had said the soul that sinneth it shall die. His death was counted as our death. But that wasn't all. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And as sin then, he was judged as sin and paid the penalty of our sin. The wages of sin is death. But that's not all. We were made the righteousness of God in him. So that God also took all of his righteousness and declared it as ours. So that when he looks at you and he looks at me, he sees us as our sins paid for and forgiven because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And He sees us as righteous in Him because He sees on you and me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's justification. And that is how God could be both just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus Christ. All of our lives are lived under the power of what we call time. Uh, we know that uh, uh, there are three dimensions of time, the past, the present, and the future. But God is an eternal being. And for God, uh, there is not a past or there is not a future. In fact, with God, there is the now, the now, and the now. Okay, God uh, lives in the eternal now as an eternal being. So no past, uh, He sees it all at the same time. But with us, uh, our lives are very much filled with those three things. It is possible to live with an awareness of our past that is full of regret and remorse. It is possible to live a life with the present full of unhappiness and with a future filled with uncertainty, anxiety, and even dread. But the truth of Romans chapter 5, therefore being justified by faith, and among other things then, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, means that God has a better way for us to live. As His children, we don't have to live with a past full of remorse 
and regret when we look back because we can look back on a time where our sins have been forgiven. We have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have to look back on a life full of regret. We don't have to look around us with a life full of unhappiness and bitterness. And we don't have to face the future with anxiety. We don't have to face the future filled with uncertainty. We don't have to face the future even with dread. God has a better way for us to live. We look back then on a past full of forgiveness. We live presently in the joy of Jesus. And we face the future filled with hopeful anticipation and expectation. (laughs) What a life. What a life that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, we could spend a lot of time tonight speculating about the future, but I'll tell you right up front, I have no clue what the future holds. I don't know. Uh, But I was reminded this week about a story I heard the evangelist Todd West tell, and some of you might have heard him or been around him, great preacher. Uh, He told the story about how that, and he was making this up, it was just a funny story. He said, I hired a man to do all my worrying for you, for me. He said, I just hired a guy. Somebody asked, he said, well, well, preacher Todd, how how much does it cost to hire somebody to worry for you? And he replied, well, I pay him $5,000 a week. And the man was amazed and he said, Todd Evangelist, don't make that kind of money. How are you going to pay somebody $5,000 a week? He said, that's his worry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I like that. That's his worry. Tonight I want us to look at this glorious passage. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I want you to notice, first of all, the person of our hope, and that's very plain. By whom, Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, by whom, and that by whom is Jesus Christ. We can say this very simply. We have hope because of Jesus Christ. Bill Gaither perhaps said it best, that uh, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. My hope is wrapped up in the life, the person, the reality of our Lord Jesus Christ. In another passage, Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 1, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know whom I have believed, 2 Timothy 1.12, and I am persuaded... I'm convinced that He is able to keep what I have committed unto Him. What have we committed unto Jesus Christ? Well, just our eternity. And I'm persuaded. I'm convinced. I know that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him. Paul had a confident expectation of the future. And I'll remind you tonight, when he wrote 2 Timothy, he wasn't going on vacation. Uh, He wasn't looking for retirement. He was writing 2 Timothy under the threat and the certainty of his imminent demise. He knew that he was going to die as a martyr. In fact, he would say before that book was over, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. He considered his life then to be about to be poured out. 
to be poured out as an offering of praise to God, knowing that his time was done. He was going home. He knew it. And it was in the light of that that he was able to say, I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed. Why? Why did he know that? Because Paul knew Jesus Christ. Well, guess what tonight? We know Jesus too, amen? We know the same Jesus Paul knew. I, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say maybe that all of us know him as well as he did. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't make that claim for myself. I mean, Paul had some incredible revelations, so many revelations that God had given him, so many times that God had personally spoke to him. I mean, Paul had some incredible experiences. But I want you to know, I know the same Jesus that he knew. And the Jesus that Paul know is, is just the same quality, just as great uh, in my life as it was in his. The Jesus, you see, doesn't change. We know him. We know him. His life, you see, was a constant expression of the power to bring the best out of the worst, and he demonstrated that over and over again. We think about his very first miracle when he was at the wedding, and, and uh, his family apparently uh, had one run out of wine, and they came and brought the problem to Jesus. What are we going to do? Well, he just had them fill 12 barrels full of water and uh, then turned it into the wine of the choicest vintage that everybody, uh, everybody bragged about. It was a crisis, a family calamity. No big problem for Jesus, was it? Jairus came to him about his dying child, and Jesus raised her from the dead. After a course, he stopped on the way to heal a pitiful woman who had spent everything that she had on the doctors and was no better whatsoever. Uh, you see, we are... Serving that same Jesus Christ. We know when they went to church and they didn't take any food, I guess they didn't get the memo about the potluck. It wasn't a big deal to Jesus. Somebody did. A little boy brought a lunch. Five loaves, two fishes, feed 5,000 people. No hurdle at all for Jesus Christ. I think about that demon-possessed maniac at Gadara. One of my favorite stories that Jesus told into a missionary after he's healed him, cast the demons out of him. And he was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. What a testimony he was to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wanted to go join with Jesus. Travel up with him. Jesus said, no. <laughs> you go back to your home, to your friends, your family, where you grow up. What did that man have to do to be a missionary? All he had to do was walk around and smile. Man, what happened to you? I met Jesus. <laughs> Jesus changed my life. He could tell that story again and again and again and again and again. He might not have known all the mysteries of the gospel. He might not have known everything about the church. He obviously didn't. He didn't know everything maybe about the second coming of Christ. But he knew one thing. He knew Jesus Christ had changed his life. What a story that he had to tell. And he told it. Jesus sent him back to do that. Over and over again then, we see the same example over and over again. Here's a man born blind. And Jesus spit on the ground and made mud and put it in his eye. Now he's blind with mud in his eye. But what did Jesus tell him to do? Go and wash. And he went and washed and he came seeing. Just a little mud and a pool down there. No big deal. But of course, his greatest miracle of all was when he walked into the valley of the shadow of death. And he destroyed the one who had the power over death and emerged victorious from the grave. 
No wonder Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And we know the same one tonight. So that's the the person of our hope. Then he talks about our participation in this hope. By whom also we have access by faith and this grace wherein we stand and rejoice. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Because we know Jesus, then we can bring Him into any situation that we face in life. And our perspective, though the situation may not change, our perspective of that situation looks different. Everything changes. Just because we have brought Jesus into this. We can look at any problem, any situation that we ever face and ask ourselves the question, can Jesus handle this? Can I trust Jesus with this? Does Jesus care about this? Can I take this problem, this issue to Jesus? You see, Jesus gives us something then to rejoice about every day. Simon Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to Him that asketh you the reason for the hope, the reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. That's 1 Peter 3.15. Be always ready to give an answer to Him that asks. I want you to notice tonight that Simon Peter presupposes that we will be asked. We will be asked. You might not have been asked a reason for your faith or a reason for your hope in a long time. But you know in the weeks ahead, you might be asked about your reason for the hope. Could happen. Do you, are, are we just paralyzed with fear? Well, no. Why? Because I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm trusting Him. We have a reason, you see, for our hope. And uh, the world may not be all that concerned with our theology or even our knowledge of the Scriptures, but I'll tell you what, they will be impressed with our knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ and the hope that He gives. And Peter tells us that our hope will get the world's attention. Uh, I've said for years that moodiness is a plague of modern Christianity. And I'm not talking about somebody who struggles with chronic depression or clinical depression. I know that's an illness, and, we need, and, and they, they need our prayers just like somebody does who has a sore throat or whatever. Uh, it is a serious illness. I'm talking about that. I'm just talking about how that uh, people somehow seem to give in uh, to this idea of moodiness. Moodiness. Um, I have trouble uh, going to a lot of associational meetings anymore. I really do. And one of the reasons is because I'm amazed at how many preachers are angry and bitter and moody. Uh, my goodness, we need to have a better face. <laughs> Am I telling the truth, Brother Bill? I, I mean, it just we need, we need something better than this. And we have something better in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to be mad at the world. We don't have to be mad at our church. I'm not mad at you folks. I hope you're not mad at me. If you are, please come talk to me about it. We'll pray our way through it. Okay? We don't have to go through uh, life with that kind of anger and bitterness because Jesus Christ gives us a very present hope and we can bring His name and His hope into any situation that arises. We understand tonight that the joy of Jesus has little to do with how it feels. 
We often define love by how it feels. But you know the Bible defines love by how it behaves. If you want to look at that, read 1 Corinthians 13. Not right now, just jot it down and you know. Say, I need to read that. It's called the love chapter. You say, I know right where it is. But if you can't recite it by heart right now, then it's not going to hurt you to go home and read 1 Corinthians 13 again. Though I speak with the tongue of men, tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, I'm become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, I'm nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Thinketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Here's the good part. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never fails. How does God define love? By what it does and what it keeps us from doing. For God so loved the world. How did God define it? That He gave His only begotten son see love is not defined by how it feels love is defined by how it behaves what it does what it keeps us from doing in a similar way uh, I think sometimes we get confused about the joy of Jesus but the joy of Jesus is not defined that joy unspeakable and full of glory might come to us when we're in the midst of sorrow it might come unto us in the midst of very hard times It might come to us when we're in the midst of a funeral. I tell you, I don't mind telling you. There's been a few times I've got just nearly shouting happy. Nearly, I'm a Baptist. Nearly shouting happy at a funeral. I've done it. Joy unspeakable is not about the emotions that we're feeling. You don't have to be zippity-doo-dah happy in order to have the joy of Jesus. The joy of Jesus is unexplainable to somebody who's never felt it. It goes beyond our emotional responses. And the joy of Jesus is tied up in Him. It is our ability then to bring Him and His name and His hope into any situation of our life. Jesus came into this world so that He said, Your joy might be full. Joy might be full. I remind you of that tonight. Because no matter how many times we teach our kids to sing, I'm in right, out right, up right, down right, happy all the time, nobody is happy all the time. Whether in right, up right, down right, or whatever, uh, nobody is happy all the time. I don't think. I've never met anybody who's happy all the time. I'm not happy all the time. But we can have the joy of Jesus even when we're not emotionally feeling happy I think that's a big thing for us to learn and keep that in our mind that Jesus Christ has given us joy that is all wrapped up in the fact that we have a hope a source of hope that never runs dry and the provision of it the hope he says of the glory of God this is the hope the hope and we can even pronounce it that way the hope of the glory of God Remember, Paul said in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 that all have sinned and what comes short of the glory of God. 
glory is a synonym for heaven. And what Paul tells us then is that we are expecting to be in the presence of God. In the presence of God. We are confident. And that confidence is based on the fact that God will, perfect, will fulfill His promises to us in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it this way, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We rejoice. By whom? By Jesus Christ. We rejoice... We rejoice, we have joy. Joy in what? Joy in hope of the glory of God. I want to close tonight by reminding you of a great passage of Scripture that might help us tonight, might help us going forward in the coming week because it identifies for us a very clear path of walking in victory. We can sing about victory a whole lot easier than we can walk in victory. Would you all agree with that? Oh, I shout when we sing, I almost shout, remember I'm a Baptist, but I shout on the inside when we sing victory in Jesus. I really like that song, I do. I do like it, I don't mind telling you. Uh, But it's harder for us to live out that victory. I want to show you our victories. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. Just jot jot a quick note, you can go back and read it when you get home tonight. Revelation 12, 11 says this, and they overcame him. Uh, that's our victory. They overcame, number one, by the blood of the Lamb. The path of our victory is through the blood of the Lamb of God. That's Jesus Christ. I ask you tonight, as the old hymn writer did, are, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, number one. Number two, by the word of their testimony, Revelation 12, 11. The word of their testimony. There's a lot of people in Cabot, Arkansas, your circle of acquaintance, your employees, your fellow workers, people you go to school with, Neighbors on your street. Facebook friends. you got a lot of them if you're on Facebook. There's a lot of people who need to hear your testimony. And maybe this week, it can be a testimony of a time you remember that was tough, but God got us through. A time you were sick, but God got you through. A time you got a bad diagnosis. But God healed you. A time when you were lost. But God saved you. You've got a testimony. You've got a testimony. Uh, I told uh, Brother John tonight, you know, people need to hear what he had to say this morning. And they need to hear it from normal people. Not just preacher people. uh, But normal people. You folks are, are, are the normal folks. And I'm not saying there's not a place for preaching. If I didn't believe in preaching, I wouldn't be up here spending my life doing it, okay? I know it's important. I know we need it. But I'm telling that the world needs to hear your testimony. Testimony for normal people. People just like them. And you have a testimony of Jesus Christ that is very, very powerful. (laughs) 
Brother Brian told me about a testimony he heard. A friend of his in Iraq, was it, Brother Brian? In Iraq? 18 months in Iraq, he said, getting shot at. I learned two things. Let me see if I get this right. You can nod your head when I say it. Uh, he said, I learned to believe and trust in Jesus Christ and to wash my hands. <laughs> two, <laughs> two things, he said, I learned. Uh, well, uh, you know, we're not getting shot at all the time. Uh, but those same two, two, two things are true of us. We need to believe in the Lord Jesus and wash our hands. I mean, that's our hand sanitizer a lot. That, that's good for us right now. Listen, that, uh, I bring that up tonight because that's a testimony. That's a testimony. Somebody shared it with him. He shared it with me. Now, I preached it to all of y'all. And we all kind of like that. We like hearing testimonies. You've got one. So do you, 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 and me. We've got testimonies. The path to victory, number one, is through the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Number two is by the word of our testimony, we've got stories to tell. And you've got people in your life that need to hear them. Stories of God's work in your life. And number three, they love not their lives Unto the death. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1 and they, or 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives until the death. What that means. What does that mean? Uh, that means that they were not ashamed. They were not afraid to give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't love their life so much that they tried to keep it because Jesus told us what that's going to do. Whosoever will love his life, keep his life, what's going to happen to it? He'll lose it. Uh, love not their lives to the death. Not afraid of death. Not looking forward to it. Not anxiously anticipating it. But you know what? I'm not afraid of it much either. Right now, it's easy to say, standing up here, I know what you're thinking. Now, it's easy to say. Yeah, it is. Um, but I don't lay up uh, in bed at night worrying about it. Don't. We love not our lives to the death. Because Jesus Christ, I have committed it to Him. And you have too if you're saved tonight. And this is the path of victory then. <laughs> we are going through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a word of a testimony. We share it. And we love not our lives unto the death. The believer's path to victory. You pray for me this week. I'm going to pray for you that you'll walk that path. But maybe tonight some of you aren't on that path because you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I look around tonight and I think most all of you are, are saved people. I really think you are. But I don't know. Maybe you're not. There's no more important decision for you to make tonight than that decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what puts you under the blood of the Lamb. That's what means your past sins, your sins are forgiven. And your future, your destiny then is certain. Is that true in your life? Let's stand together, please.